Hello, and welcome to the Antioch Fort Worth weekly podcast. At Antioch, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and his purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit AntiochFortWorth.com. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon from lead pastor Jamie Miller. I'm thankful this morning for mercy and grace and life and love, the peace of God. And, uh, and I'm thankful for this passage and uh, just, yeah, just sitting there listening to stuff that's going on, just, just uh, talking to some new people for the service and just, we're, we're thankful, man. We're, we're in the middle of God's doing stuff and um, it's, it's cool. We had our uh, U.S., we hosted the U.S. oversight team for Antioch this, this week and man, uh, I walked past Isaiah at one point, he goes, how's it going in there? How y'all doing? And and I said, well, we're planning for 2030 right now. <laughs> for real. God's moving, you know, and he's moving across the movement. And there's so many powerful things happening. And we're just dreaming, trying to dream with God, the, the dreams of God. So if you would stand up, we're about to start this final message in Ephesians 3. And I want to just start by reading it. I, I may read it more than once. Um, there's just, it's just good stuff happens when we read this prayer, right? When we just pray, they just they get a prayerful attitude, look for the togethers, look for the glory, look for the power, love, and fullness, try to see Jesus, try to see the church in it. Lord, open our eyes today. Give us revelation. Just part the Part the distractions and stuff and junk and deception and lies and help us to see the truth of God revealed in Scripture. In the name of Jesus, for this reason, I kneel. Let me just read it and I'll let you guys just soak it in. I know we've, we've gotten into a, we're, I just want you to get it. Now, I think you can maybe think sometimes when you're not having to focus on the reading. Just, we'll, we'll keep mixing it up. Just calling it Omaha here. Yeah. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints, with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. This is the word of God, and we say, thanks be to God, amen. Y'all have a seat? Whew, feel fresher, lighter, just reading it. You know, this is one of the most famous passages in the Bible. One of the most famous prayers, there's a lot of prayers, but this is one of the most famous prayers in all of scripture, and it is incredibly, it's, it's the truth of God distilled down, just crunched down, condensed down, like condensed orange juice. <laughs> Did y'all know that orange juice used to come in a can? 
It used to come in a can. It was condensed. Older people. And a witness. And you'd shake it out, and you just kind of spoon it out, kind of drippy and syrupy and stuff, and then you add water, you dilute it. And that's almost kind of what we have to do with this passage. It's like super condensed, and we're adding some water here, hopefully, and just a little bit of thoughts about it so that we can get some of the beauty of the manifold wisdom of God that's being prayed for right here. It's like, whoa, I was praying, I was marching around in my office like I do with the scripture. Just, that's kind of how sermon starts getting written. You walk around, you pray it. And uh, so I was doing that, and then I just kind of stopped, and I'm like, whoa, God, this is going to be like a miracle for us to get this, for us to really get this. It's going to be, it's going to be a miracle. But then, so I, was, I just thought, you know, we all just talk about power, and may his power, may his power, may his power. And I looked up in Miriam Webster's uh, dictionary online, the essential meaning of miracle, And it is an unusual or wonderful event that is believed to be caused by the power of God. So may the Lord do miracles here today in opening up our hearts and minds and lives. May may the power of God flow so that we can see his purpose, his manifold wisdom being put on display, all that's being condensed down in this prayer. This prayer, this sermon could have had so many different titles. I actually wrote a bunch of different titles on the top of my page. I wrote it. I typed it. And, uh, and I started with the prayer of together. You know, that's what we talked about last week, the gospel of together. You know, and that's a good one. I wrote down the prayer of union and the prayer of communion because it's the communion of the Trinity that we're getting in on here and being invited into, the, communion, the prayer of communion, the prayer of God's family, the prayer of God's glory, the prayer of Christ, the church, and the glory, the prayer of the glory of God in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout the all generations prayer. I'll stop. But uh, what's going on here is uh, one of the things that's happening is the things we talked about last week are getting prayed in. In fact, this prayer is really all of Ephesians 1 to 3 being prayed in a condensed way. And it's praying into what's coming in Ephesians 4 through 6. So it's this incredible just midpoint of praying in what God's doing. One of the things we talked about last week was the Greek word oikonomia. Y'all remember that? It's where we get the word economy from. It's like the economy of God is put on display in the administration of Christ through the church. We are the economy. We're the distribution. Oikonomia. And a little more background on that to understand distribution is it's the way it happened in the ancient world. Like we actually have economies and businesses and different kinds of things like that, but back, I mean, for centuries upon centuries, it was through the house. It was the the head of the house was the key point for distribution to everybody in the house. There's this word, paterfamilias. Anybody ever heard of that? Oh, okay. So uh, (laughs) one Greek person back there. Uh, yeah, paterfamilias. So, so the head of the house, the distribution flows through the head of the house to all the members, all the different people, and even business, the business of the house. People were supplied, they received their supply from the head. All these different connected people. And the bigger the house, the more people were supplied. In fact, if you take that same story, that same illustration there, it, it, like Caesar was the head of the Roman Empire house. He's head over everything. And so what's going on here, I kneel before the father. He's the father who's the head over, he wants a house that is the entire world of humanity. 
okay? And he's distributing his wealth and riches through his son, Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Yes. Kind of a deep thought. But uh, it's, that's the vision that's being cast here and prayed about here as we look at the end of Ephesians chapter three. Now, the problem is that this vision is being cast in the midst of a world where the powers are at work, right? So darkness, the ruler of the power of the air. There is our own deceptive, disrupted desires, our flesh. There is the system of the world that just kind of codifies and puts all that into place. It makes it, it normalizes those deceptive ideas that play on our disordered desires and get normalized in a sinful society. Makes sense? Too much a mouthful? Again, uh, the, I got that idea, that just that flow from John Mark Comer in that book, Live No Lies. So some of you guys, somebody's going to buy that book, I think. <laughs> Listen to it. If you're not a reader, that's fine. Listen. So in our time, in the time that we live in right now, where the powers are at work around us, community is the miracle that we need. We do not think this way. This is not our normal belief system. In our, in our time, the individual is the center and not the community. Can I get a witness? You know, so what, what's happened in the West since the Enlightenment and then especially with evolutionary theory and natural selection, it just, it basically casts out God and puts us at the center where, you know, if you've ever heard the phrase, my truth, like, watch out for my truth. That's the individualized center, you know, where we put ourselves and our own existential experience at the center of everything. And then we look in the past, in history and tradition to, for things that support it, and then maybe even go to scripture to find some things that we'll, we'll take or leave or do a buffet of this, when actually the way truth works, it's flipped that way. It's, it's, it's the truth of God revealed in his own self-revealing in Jesus Christ and pointed to in the scriptures and then supported by church history and tradition and then experienced in our own experiential lives the truth of God flowing in and to us and through us by his spirit. Now, there's so much to say there, but we are in a battle. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, anybody ever heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer? He was this guy from... The, uh, the middle of the century, last century he lived, he died in 45, he was martyred in a Nazi prison. He was the first martyr I ever learned about when I read the introduction to the cost of discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I just grew up in a tradition where we didn't talk about the martyrs and I didn't know anybody had been killed for their faith in the 1900s. You know, I'm in ministry school, post working on a, did a finance degree at a North Texas State University, the Eagles, let's give a cheer for North Texas State. I, I, can, I can do that even with TCU Horn Frogs here because it's so, they're so not inconsequential, you know, sports-wise, it doesn't matter. I love the frogs. Go frogs. But uh, so, so Bonhoeffer, man, he really, he, he impacted me. And he, he started, this, so just a little more background about Bonhoeffer. So he, he did a doctorate, then he comes to the United States of America, he goes to church in Brooklyn, uh, not Brooklyn, in uh, Harlem, Harlem, he goes to church in Harlem, and he catches a vision for multi-ethnic church, you know, this German guy in the 20s and 30s, 
And, but Karl Barth writes to him, when things really start heating up in Germany with Hitler and the whole uh, fascism, Barth writes to him and says, look, you, you, you have a responsibility to be here. You can't stay over there. Meanwhile, at the same time, Gandhi asks him to come and study nonviolence under him. It's like a, wow, you know, like, like a rock star dude in the 30s, right? So he goes, and he goes back to Germany and where he's working in and out of Berlin, but he starts this seminary called F at Finkenwald. Finkenwald. And the seminary only goes three years, 1935, 36, and 37, and then he's arrested by the Gestapo, uh, or shut down by the Gestapo. Okay, that's the kind of threat that Dietrich Bonhoeffer is. And he had a friend visit him while he was there named Wilhelm Niesel. And he takes him across the little river there right by Finkenwald and up a hill and they stand there together and they're looking at a Nazi army camp. Planes are taking off, troops are running around like ants and everything. And you can see, he said, the kingdom that's coming is cruel and hard-hearted and mean. And he said, he looked back at Finkenwald at the, at the house across the river and he said, this must become stronger than that. This must be stronger than that. And he goes on and he makes 110 disciples. That's all that graduated from Finkenwald. 110 guys, gals, I don't know how they did. 110 people. And, and you know, what happened in the ensuing, you know, he ultimately gets arrested. But, you know, the impact of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, we're still talking about the impact he had. That, that line, that, the, the discipleship that he started, two famous books got written there, Life Together and the Cost of Discipleship. He wrote at Finkenwald. And he was making disciples. And we're still talking about him today. That's how you stand against the powers is you come together in community to make disciples of each other. That's, that's how we do this. Um, so I, I was uh, reading another little thing by Eugene Peterson. He was talking about prayer in the scripture and specifically prayer in Ephesians. Said, he basically said, you know, there's prayers in Ephesians, but really it's good to just pray Ephesians. You can pray the whole thing. Just pray it, pray it to God, say some words, and then start praying them. It's just a good way to read. Anybody been reading? We, know, we did this challenge to read Ephesians once a week, but do you ever find you get stuck or stopped and because you start praying? Then it, and and for, if you haven't, then experiment with it. It's just, it's just awesome. That, that's how I, I, really, honestly, that's how I write sermons. I'll try to pray it, but then I can't finish it because something starts coming and I have to go write it down. It's a great way to write sermons. So Peterson was comparing prayer to washing a car. Just pretend you got a new car, but it got dirty. But then when people come to pray together, it's like you, it's, you wash it off and you go, whoa, this is incredible. Who hasn't done that in prayer where you go, man, the thing that we're praying about, the church, is really beautiful. It's, it's, it's more beautiful than I thought. Or I got accustomed to knowing how cool this thing really is. That's what God wants us to see here. And here's the main thing that I'm trying to say today. We want to appreciate this. We pray the one new humanity prayer. That's where I landed, by the way. The one new humanity prayer. We pray this prayer in order to see and experientially know the love of God in the church together. That's, that's what I'm trying to say today. We pray this prayer to see and experientially know the love of God in the church together. And so here are my prayer points. Just six prayer bullets. Here we go. The first one is family. We pray for family. That first verse, 
For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Okay, so we are family, and we're family in the image of a family, God. So God, from before creation, we see that at the beginning of Ephesians, is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there is a plan to bring us into that family, to adopt us as sons and daughters, right? So that's the plan. That's what we're praying about there. So we're praying for a family prayer, sons and daughters prayer, the relational God of love prayer. We're praying for Father. He's our Father. And uh, I just... Lord, help me say this. Uh, you know, our tendency in our darkened brokenness is to see God as horrific and like a monster who's just waiting to get us. And then Jesus Christ comes and he reveals the primary revelation of God is that he's a son of his father and their shared love in the spirit. And we have to say that over and over and over again because our darkened mind wants to hide from God. Run and hide. And God is a father. And he's so much better a father than any one of us could ever imagine being a father. And so you know you're off when you think you can be more loving to your children than the father is loving to us. He's, He's a father who's good, who loves us infinitely more than I love Emily. Infinitely more than I love Matthew. Infinitely more than I love Harper and Liv. And infinitely more than I love little scarlet, little twindly little legs, if you're watching down in Austin. Ah, can you, can, did you see what I'm saying? He's our father. And that just shapes and molds and, and influences the way we pray and come before our father. And it's when we discover that God's purposes from beginning to end are filial. They are family from beginning to end. That's, it's only when we discover that that we can look away from ourselves and our self-focus and begin to see the love of God for us in Christ and trust him. I feel like I'm trying to preach out of breath. I moved back there a couple times and so I'm out of breath. Next prayer point. So pray family, right? Pray family. Pray Father, 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 in the name of Jesus. We pray that way. We pray Father. We pray family. And that we would be family together. Second point. Prayer point. We pray for togetherness. We pray together. Like families come together. Unity. The gospel of together. One new humanity. Multi-ethnic epicenter. Life-giving, multiplying. Reproducing Christ. Manifesting fathers. Love-receiving. Holy Spirit-empowered church. That's what we want to be. So let's, let's read the prayer again. But this time, let's just keep thinking together. Let's pray together into this passage because it's, it's, it catches the spirit of it. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name together. I pray that out of his glorious riches together, he may strengthen you, plural you, y'all, you guys, together with power through his spirit in your inner being Not just, it's so hard to not read this as an individualistic thing, right? It's it's really hard. Kim came in this morning. She said, I was reading it. We've been talking about it yesterday. She said, I read it this morning. I thought about myself. Right? This is just the air we breathe. It's about us, me. And yet it's about us together. 
the people of God together. It's a together prayer. I pray that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being together so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith together. I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with the Lord's, all the Lord's holy people to grasp. And the only way we'll ever see this prayer answered is together. To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ together. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you, all of you together may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Say it, together. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So, oh, that's just powerful. And it, doesn't it wash the dirt off? Just, just, and help us to see who we're supposed to be better together. It's helping me. I just even, just, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm saying it. It's over us. It's not to you. It's us together. This is a we word, right? Um, and we're running a race where the powers are trying to separate us and get us in our camps on different things, right? Uh, again, I said we had the oversight team in uh, this week, and I was walking outside on Thursday with uh, Jimmy Seibert, who is the leader of the Antioch movement, and uh, a guy named Kendall Laughlin. Uh, so I just met some guys from San Diego this morning. I just moved to Fort Worth, and so that's really cool. But Kendall's one of the pastors there, and, and uh, we were walking, and Jimmy got into this thing where he was saying, we're running a race, guys. We're running a race. We're just out walking and doing laps around this building. We're running a race, and we can't drink poison and think that we can run the race effectively. And specifically, he said, we can't drink the poison of bitterness and unforgiveness and think we're gonna be able to run effectively. Because when we drink the poison of bitterness and unforgiveness, it makes us detach from God and his people. And when we detach from God and his people, then we start to attach to other things. And things become one thing, something that was maybe okay in moderation, then in my reattachment to this thing becomes an addiction in my life. And it starts to take over my thinking. And then I start looking for other people's opinions and other theologies and people that support my new attachment. And so, you know, I mean, that can happen in so many different kinds of ways, but it's a plan of the enemy to separate us. And God's vision for us is to be united, reconciled, one new humanity together. And so we pray for that, right? Amen, somebody say it. So we're praying along here. Father, just release the vision for family. Release the vision for together. Release the vision of your power, your actual power at work in our lives. Three times in this passage, he uses the word dunamis, power. It's where we get the word dynamite from. But the power here in Ephesians is the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. The power that's at work in us is the same power that was at work in Christ, raising him from the dead and seating him far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in this age, but in the age to come. Choo -choo. I, I, oh, what's a, better, a good illustration? Plug this baby in right here and set four 
four by 12 Mesa boogie cabinets right there with 100 watt heads on top. Maybe you get a pedal or two, but mostly you're just plugging straight into that baby. Turn it up. Power. I didn't, I didn't do that yesterday. We're talking through. She's like, I don't know if it works. Power! You're a guitarist. You fall back on old fantasies. I never had four 4x12 four Mesa Boogie cabinets. I had a big Fender stack. And uh, my mom was like, oh, I always knew what mood you were in. You know, when you can literally make hair move by running your pick across the strings, it's so loud. What'd y'all say? I can't hear you. So power that raised Jesus from the dead. Three times here. His power to strengthen you with power. We need to be strengthened, you guys, with the power of God. Here's the miracle stuff. Strengthened with the power of God, an event that can only be accredited to the power of God. And then again, he says that you together may have power, all the Lord's people together. And then finally, down there in verse 20, according to his power, immeasurably more, 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 according to his power that is always more, more, and more. Strengthened and rooted in love, power together with all of God's people, more, more, more. It's like saying, um, your kingdom come. I don't know where I just heard this, but maybe it was, yeah, this morning she came in. Uh, just when we pray your kingdom come, it's not a prayer of resignation. We're asking for something powerful to happen. When we pray that prayer over and over, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Let your power come and change this situation. And this you, you, you see, this really is our native language. When we learn to pray like this, it's, it's spirit. It's not just English. It's not Spanish. It's spirit. It's down in here, and it gets out, oh, and it, it changes things. It changes the atmosphere. It changes who we are. It changes, uh, it gets us lined up with our right identity, the power of God, releasing resurrection power in and through our words in the name of Jesus. Man, Love is the next one, love, next prayer point. So Lord, release, release power, family together, power and love. Again, over and over again, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Okay, so when we say love, we're not talking about your favorite ice cream flavor. Something deeper, right? What, what kind of love are we talking about? How does the Bible define love? Agape. That's right. So agape is selfless, giving, uh, willing to die for, dying for. It's, it's the love of the, the relational God of love. It's the father for the son, the son for the father in the shared communion of the spirit. It's Jesus and his love for us, the father sending the son. It's Jesus saying, yes, I lay down my life so that all of humanity can be included in this, in this life, in this love. And so John defines love this way. This is love. Not that we loved, but that God first loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, 1 John 4, 10. So, so love then is a self-giving kind of love. And when we say we love each other, um, this is a big deal, that we are laying down our lives 
for each other. And, you know, we do it imperfectly, and yet the Spirit is empowering us to know this love. And not just know it, but to know it experientially. That's the, the Greek word there is gnosko. I had a Greek teacher 30-something years ago, and uh, his name was Dr. J.C. Davis. He was from East Texas, and I'm going to just go ahead and apologize to East Texas people for what I'm about to do right now in telling you how he talked with us. And my wife is from East Texas, and there are several single-syllable words that get turned into multi-syllable words, if you know what I'm talking about. But uh, Dr. Davis would look at us, and he'd just get, he'd get veins in his neck and all fired up. Man, I'm talking to you about gnosko, experiential knowledge. Not just your head knowledge, but experienced in real life. It's incredible. <laughs> Dr. J.C. Davis, he's watching. I honor him. Because this, this kind of knowledge that you would know this love that surpasses knowledge. It goes past what you can see in your head, but when you live it out together, you get more and more filled into the measure of all the fullness of God. And I just, I, I wanna keep encouraging you, listen to Judah, the fullness of God. It's a recording that just, it's a, you can look it up on Spotify or whatever. Uh, it's, it's almost, it's, I could almost chant it in the way he says the words, but it's become so meaningful uh, to me. So love, we pray, pray for love. We pray for fullness. Fullness is found, the fullness is found, where, where is the fullness found? Let me just say it that way. How much do you guys want of Christ? Little seven, eight, nine. All, I got an all down here. The full, there's only one place to get the fullness. It's together. There's only one place, it's a lie from the devil to think you can get the fullness by yourself. It's, it's, we can only see the fullness together and it's God's plan. And it's always been that way that it's even the, the deception that I can be this individual, self-actualized, existential Christian over here, disconnected from, and I'm, maybe I'm part of a mystical, you know, universal church out there somewhere but look, and I'm not, I'm just saying, the, that idea is, is weak. It's insipid compared to what God actually planned for us to do was to live life together with boots on the ground, feet on the ground, being in relationship with other people so that we can actually see it, know it, do it, feel it, experience it. That's the way, that's the way it actually works. And then the last piece there is glory. So we pray for fullness together and glory. And specifically, now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And I want to say this about glory. Glory is as it should be. And if you remember in John 17, 24, Jesus prays that we would see his glory. And then he defines it. Father, I want them to be with me and to see my glory because you loved me, the love that you had for me before the creation of the world. And I just, I do this all the time, but we have to see that love and glory go together. So a radical, selfless, self-giving God isn't just about, you know, 
make me great, make me great, make me great. He's laying down his life for us. We totally worship him and praise him. He's worthy of eternal worship and praise. But his glory is a self-giving love glory that lays its life down for others kind of glory. And so when we pray this, oh God, let your glory be seen. In him be glory. To him be glory that this love that's being seen in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all the generations forever and ever, amen. And man, we don't do it perfect, but we are in the game. And we're in the game of, 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 of expressing and experiencing this love and this glory together in this generation. And I know there's lots of generations in the room, but, but this generation is gonna pass it down to the next generation. It's gonna pass it down to the next generation. And in all the generations, we're gonna see the glory of God, the love of the brothers and sisters for one another together in life-giving, reproducing church life together. It's, it's a beautiful thing. And I'm gonna just say this. This brings hope to my heart and history belongs to the hope givers. History belongs to those who bring hope like Dietrich Bonhoeffer. History belongs to those. There's this uh, poet from the 1800s. His name is Gerard Manley Hopkins. He's a Jesuit priest, poet, and uh, he came up with this word called inscape. So you got landscape, it's like a mountains, trees, sunset, valley, landscape. Inscape is an artistic term that describes what a poet or what an artist does in looking more deeply into a thing or a person. And I think it's a great word for us talking about the manifold wisdom of God. It's, you know, I went on a prayer retreat a couple weeks ago. I was out at River Bend. And whenever we slow down, we get a little bit of this inscape vibe going on in us, right? I'm walking on a trail, but I'm not just walking on a trail anymore. It's like the journey of life. And there's ants and they're working and, and I'm thinking all these deep thoughts and I'm looking down at the ground and, and then I walk into a spider's web and it gets all over my face. And, but that's like the enemy, you know, and, and he's after us and he wants to distract us from the good thing that we're doing on the journey of God. <laughs> that literally happened, right? And so, so Inscape, I just think that's a great word for thinking more deeply and poetically and artistically, and certainly that's what's going on, the manifold wisdom of God, you know, about in and through us and all of our differences and the way we would describe our backgrounds and successes and failures and all the things that he's brought to bring together this beautiful tapestry body, the bride that he loves, the church of Jesus Christ. And yet we're always tempted to put other things in front of him. There's this guy named Celestin Musakura, and uh, he's a Rwandan guy, did a doctorate over at DTS a number of years ago. But back when the genocide happened, he started a, he started a ministry called Alarm. And basically he was encouraging Hutus and Tutsis, the, the two main tribes there that were involved in the, the genocide, 800,000 people being killed in just a short period of time. And uh, so he was going around proclaiming forgiveness. We've got to forgive people. And the people that were mainly hurt, his own tribe didn't want to forgive. And the, the people that did the hurting said, I can't believe you're, you're, nobody liked him. 
And then, but he kept proclaiming forgiveness, proclaiming forgiveness. And then one Sunday morning in 1997, a bunch of people came in with machetes and guns into a church where his father was, extended family, and a number of friends, and they killed 70 people that morning. And he was faced with a decision himself. You know, what, what had happened was that the Rwandans had put Hutu and Tutsi, their tribal affiliation, identity, above their identity in Christ. And just let that sink in. You know, and God put a challenge before him, said, you need to forgive now these people that have hurt you and killed your father and your friends. And it was a powerful, you know, fork in the road for him to say, yes, Lord, you are above my tribal loyalty. And so, you guys, if, if we don't rise up as the church, if we don't rise up and with our identity in Christ and not in our tribal affiliations, whether they be ethnic or economic or political, if we don't rise and make sure that Jesus is treasured and Lord first, we'll find ourselves in the same kind of mess. You know, it can happen. It's not just the bad Rwandans. It's the bad flesh in all of humanity that believes deceptive lies, that feed our disordered desires, and are normalized in sinful society. So that's just huge. We want to be what God has called us to be, this multi-ethnic, beautiful bride, the temple of God, the, the building of God, the army of God, you know, the, the body of Christ. So it's a, it's a beautiful thing that we're called to, and we only can do it together. We are supposed to be signpost people, right? Pointing to new creation. And new creation is breaking in here, even though it's not breaking in there, wherever there is in our world, and, but it's breaking in here, not just the building, I mean the church, right? Does that make sense? So we pray the one new humanity prayer. We pray this prayer to see family, to see together, to see power, love, fullness, to see the glory of God in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all the generations forever and ever, amen. You guys stand up. If I get the worship team to come on up, and we want to just respond today. I think there's a number of different ways that we can respond in prayer uh, this morning because I've touched on a number of different things. And I, I think the family stuff is where I want to start, the, the family uh, pieces. There's, I, I, you know, this, this message, there's, there's something for everybody. I mean, I can respond. I can run around, get prayer from somebody. But, but we, we all, I just, if I can just say, Lord, help us all to respond in our hearts right now. And the first piece is just you're needing to know the Father's love in a fresh way or maybe however it's been damaged in your heart. We need the love of God. We can't, we can't do loving things if we're not receiving the Father's love. We can't be self-giving if we're not receiving that overflow of his Niagara over our hearts and lives. So the Father's love is huge. Uh, healing for hurts from the church. It's hard to, it's, uh, and you guys, the hurts, most of the time it's not the church, the concept, it's somebody, right? It's people. And so we all need healing. 
I, I think some of the biggest trauma in my personal life has come from being involved with the church. That's where the big ones are. So I need, I need healing, and I need to receive that forgiveness and receive and offer forgiveness. So if you need healing there so that we can move forward together, man, let's get prayer. Um, yeah, it might be too that, that just for you right now, you need the power of God to be strengthened, to believe for the miracle, you know, to, and... Uh, so just, Father, would you just meet us right now in this time of response? If I get all the prayer people to come on up. And I want to just say boldly, there is hope. Man, God is moving. He's, his hands aren't tied. He's moving in our time. He's moving in this day. There is hope. And it's when times are the hardest, and maybe there's been the, a pullback, that's when revival happens. Historically, that's exactly when revival happens and hearts are renewed. And just so, if you need prayer, you guys, in anything I've talked about or anything else, healing, just please don't leave without getting prayer. We love you, Lord. Meet us in this moment as we're praying the one new humanity prayer. Lord, that we would know and see and experientially know the love of Christ together. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's just press into the Lord here. Make it a thin place. Lord, we love you. Just come and get prayer. Go for it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you.